What do nurses truly need to know about pediatric emergency nursing and what it takes to safely care for children in emergent situations? Let's talk all about it with author and emergency nursing expert, Deb Jeffries, right here on episode 329 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. This podcast is, of course, all about you, your personal and professional development, your career, and the healthcare system as a whole. And I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like this one with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, medicine, entrepreneurship, and beyond. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being a part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And here's a very, very special request. If you find value in this podcast, please consider becoming a valued patron over at patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Nurse Keith. Creating more than 300 episodes of this podcast incurs many costs and will continue to, and your support means a lot. So right now in 2021, when I'm recording this, I'm asking for 100 regular listeners of The Nurse Keith Show to pledge $2 a month for a year. That's less than buying me a cup of coffee every month. And you can rest assured that this show, of course, never contains any caffeine, sugar, or empty calories, just a lot of audio awesomeness for you. You can always pledge more and get some really cool gifts from me, but $2 a month would be super. So head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith and show your support for the show. The show notes for this episode are going to be at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 329, believe it or not. And I am here with new friend of the pod and my new friend, because we share a very good friend. I'm here with Deb Jeffries. Deb, I'm really appreciative of you being here, and this is great having you on the show. And the first question I want to ask you is, why is pediatric emergency nursing so close to your heart? Oh, that's a great question. And thanks for having me, Keith. Um, pediatric emergency nursing is a specialty in and of itself. But pediatric emergencies don't only happen in the emergency department. There are many professionals that deal with pediatric emergencies, such as camp nurses, urgent care, school nurses, and Many nurses have been taught, and we accept, we embrace, that children are not little adults. And yet, what does that actually mean? They're not little adults? Really? No, no, they're actually like little specialty um, folks. Oh, And um, as the years have gone by with nursing, I realized as a bedside nurse at the time that there were limited resources available to care for this very special population. And it's a, it's a bit of a myth that injured and sick children go to pediatric EDs because that's not correct. The vast majority of sick and injured children come to general EDs, not mm-hmm. pediatric specialty EDs. Right. And so we've got to be real careful, make sure we can take good care of them. Good response. And I just want to ask, do you have children? Like, is this, did this mm-hmm. start with like having your own or did it start with you're just in the course of your work, you notice like, hmm, these kids actually aren't little adults. What do I do with them? Yes, um, exactly so. I have three children 
And um, I was very young as a mom and had limited knowledge when it came to taking care of kids or when kids were sick. And my middle child was 10 days old. I'm still a teenager, so very young. Mm. And I realized something was wrong with him. And I didn't know what. I didn't know how to articulate it. I just knew there's something really wrong with my baby who's 10 days old. And I call the doctor. I need to get in to see you. Something's wrong with my baby. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. We just saw him. He's good. And after repeated calls, they finally got me in in about six hours. So six hours later. And when I went into the physician's office, he looked at my baby, did a quick physical exam, checked the fontanelles. And he said to me, you need to take this baby to the emergency department immediately or he's going to die. He has meningitis. Oh, wow. And it was such scary an experience that made me recognize so many different things when it comes to kids. Number one, we don't listen to parents way that we should. We assume that we know better than they do. And we don't recognize that what's common information to nurses and physicians is not common to new parents. They don't know. And we become judgmental, frankly, um, sometimes with these, these new parents. It's new mommy syndrome. I've heard that many a time in an emergency department when in fact, maybe it's something really serious. You mean new mommy syndrome, meaning mommy's worried about every hiccup, Mm -hmm. every Mm -hmm. little rash they see on the elbow. It's like, oh, it's an emergency. So that brings up judgments, biases, and kind of shrugging off the mom. Um, They're like, is this Munchausen's by proxy or whatever? They're like, what, what's, what's going on here? Okay. So that, that makes a lot of sense. So I'm glad you shared, and I'm glad I asked about a personal situation. So you obviously, you were not a nurse at that particular time when your baby no, was not. 10 years old. I mean, 10, 10, 10 days. days old. So yeah. you were not a nurse. And so you didn't know, you didn't know all these things. You weren't aware of what was happening and what you needed to do with the baby. You were a teenager yourself. Okay. Yes. So fast forward, you became a nurse when? Was that much, 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 much later? Or was that very soon after being a mother? Um, Fairly quickly. Quickly? Um, Yes. My children were uh, four and two when I graduated from nursing school. So Hmm. back in uh, 1983, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a long time when you have to get out the calculator. Okay. How many years have I actually been a nurse? Um, So yes, 1983. I was 1996. So you, you beat me by 13 there. Um, so wow. And did pediatric nursing grab you right away or did emergency nursing grab you right away? Like what, what captured your imagination once you were out of school and like ready to roll? Mm -hmm. I initially started out in critical care. I was an Mm -hmm. ICU nurse for eight years. I I sometimes uh, refer to it as I did my time, but I mean that in the best possible way, not as a prison sentence, my time. Uh, Critical care, I believe, is an excellent foundation for the emergency department. You gain so much knowledge and it brings a different level to the care. And I've been involved in emergency nursing now for over 30 years. And um, many of those years, I worked in a pediatric ED. And that original experience that I shared with you was instrumental in how I teach about emergency nursing, how I cared for um, patients and their families, 
because it never left me. And Mm -hmm. I vowed I would never make that kind of mistake where I diminished a parent's concern because they do know children better, their children than we do. One should hope so. Yes, we, we say it, but we don't always believe it. No, we don't. And we can also get jaded and we're also busy and we've got a lot of stuff going on. And so it's like, yeah, how are we going to triage this one out, not in, Mm -hmm. right? And I know you did neurotrauma ICU, you did emergency Mm -hmm. nursing, you've done a lot of clinical education in the emergency setting. And you have actually, you're a TNCC and ENPC course director, and you also teach ACLS PALS, BLS. And You co-authored the book, Rapid Access Guide for Pediatric Emergencies, Providing Expert Nursing Care, right? And you've contributed to a lot of other articles and books and peer-reviewed publications. So this new book, can you tell us about it and tell us about your co-author, who actually happens to be a very, very dear friend of mine? Yes. Um, Our book was the um, genesis from these conversations that we're having, that both Mm. uh, my co-author, Len uh, Visser, and myself have worked together for years, um, and we recognized the absence of a resource at the bedside for nurses that care for children in any environment. And we started having a conversation on what could we do? What does that look like? And uh, Rapid Access for Pediatric Emergencies was born. Uh, Lynn is a very experienced author as well. She Uh, is Multiple publications, multiple Mm -hmm. books, um, has a great level of expertise in emergency nursing as well. So we decided that we would combine forces. That's great. And- this particular project, I've seen some proof uh, pages. You sent me a few chapters to take it, to take a look at. Like I'm looking at chapter five, inadequate ventilation. And yeah. one thing I like about it, and I'm not a PD nurse, though I've worked in clinic settings where I did work with a lot of children. And, you know, I did a lot of triage in my years. And um, I see you start with red flags. Like that's Like I notice at the top of the page, there's red flags. And then it goes to triage considerations and it goes through common chief complaints and then runs through a lot of other things that you're going to need to know and then key tips. And then you have these great um, signs and symptoms broken down between respiratory distress and respiratory failure. So you're not just kind of calling out how it might present for distress, but you're also going to the like, I guess, taking it to the next level of emergency. So have you tackled all of the different areas that you're instructing on in this book in the same way? Is this structure really part of the heart of why this book is so important? Yes, um, that's exactly correct. Mm -hmm. Each chapter is set up with the same format And as you noted, the red flags are the very first thing you see. What do I need to be worried about immediately with any child or infant? And we use the word child to cover the whole pediatric age span. Which goes to when? What does pediatric actually go to technically? That is a great question because there's not uniform consensus on that. Um, Most resources will say 18. However, comma, if there is a um, special needs child, 
or for example, cystic fibrosis, mm -hmm. they often will stay with their pediatrician past that age of 18. So we mm -hmm. do have to think about that when they come into an emergency department as well. Cerebral palsy is another example. I see. That even something as concrete as a number always has some kind of variance. Nothing is ever black and white. Right. Um, and so those red flags are strategically placed there to catch the attention of any nurse or, and I've had some residents give some great feedback on the book as well, um, using it, that what do I need to be worried about most? And the first part of the book is set up not by um, body system per se, mm -hmm. like respiratory, inadequate ventilation. So I look at a kid and I go, you're not breathing right. There's, there's something wrong here with your breathing. That's where you go, inadequate ventilation. So it was intentionally okay. set up that way for people who don't have experience with kids. It's, it's a great resource for pediatric experts, but it's really set up for people who don't have that expertise. But I can look at a child and go, wait a second, they're awfully pale. Maybe mm -hmm. there's a perfusion issue. Let me look at that. Mm -hmm. Or they're cyanotic and those kinds of things. So mm -hmm. the uh, first core chapters, if you will, were set up that way. Red flags, um, triage considerations. What do you need to think about specific to ventilation, for example, when you're doing that initial contact with, with a child? What kinds of things are specific? And then uh, we go to key concepts and key ideas from there. I see that. I see critical concepts here, um, yes. key concepts. You've got, it's, it's very... I mean, I have the digital version. I'm not holding it in my hand, but just looking at it visually, because I'm a very visual learner, it's it's really easy for my eyes to kind of go from thing to thing. And I'm curious, um, physically, is it like a, because this is important for nurses when they're busy, is it a spiral bound so that it can stay open on a desk or is it not spiral bound? It is spiral bound. Um, mm -hmm. It is mostly designed to fit into a pocket oh. so you could actually have it with you um, it's fairly thick so it would not be a small pocket but if you have a lab coat or a, a scrub jacket something like that it could fit into that pocket which is also important because yeah if you're running around you don't have to run back to the nurse's station mm -hmm. exactly so yeah. and there's only you yeah. know there's only about 25 you know guides and books that you want to have in your pocket at any right. given time. So it's really no big deal. Right. Yeah, right. That's, yeah. that's not a problem at all. Right. One of the things that I think is helpful for individuals mm -hmm. is that each chapter has a section where you can take notes. So if there's certain things that I know that I need to write down because I'm not going to remember, that's a great resource. I'm a writer. I'm very traditional. I have notepads all over the place. And to me, that's something that helps the book be personalized because what I need for ventilation, maybe Keith, you need something different written mm -hmm. down. Maybe you want ABGs put into that, that mm -hmm. section, but I know ABGs, I'm very comfortable. So it's, there is an opportunity for that with each chapter as well. Yeah. Knowing what, knowing me, my copy would say in red Sharpie, like don't panic in each note <laughs> section, like really Take big letters. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That would, it, that's probably what it would say for the most mm -hmm. part. Now, I know you wanted to read us a little something. Um, was it part of chapter two, if I recall? Yes. Um, and, and it's, I think, a good summary paragraph 
about why it is important to have a resource. And there's there's excellent resources from American Heart Association, your palace provider book, Emergency Nurses Association has great resources. So this is only meant to augment those. Mm-hmm. Um, we work together, and I, I pray this is true, that as professionals, we need everything we can get to be the best that we can be. Mm-hmm. And this is just meant to augment those other resources. So this paragraph gives an overview of care of children in any kind of emergency, any setting. Caring for children experiencing an emergency can be daunting for many reasons and challenges, including communication, differences in developmental stages, emergent conditions in which children sometimes present with subtle symptoms, the ability of children to compensate compensate until suddenly they don't, and the physiologic differences that affect their response to illness or injury. Add to this the emotional and psychosocial needs of children and their families and caregivers, and it can be overwhelming. Allowing oneself to recognize that caring for children can be scary and or intimidating is a step towards becoming competent in the specialized field of nursing. Using evidence-based best practice references and resources is an integral part to the safe care of children. And then we list all of those examples that we just talked about. American Academy of Pediatrics, my goodness, they have guidelines for uh, care of children and emergencies that all of these things together can help give us the competence and therefore the confidence mm-hmm. to be able to care for children in these emergencies. Mm-hmm. That's true. And why, including myself, who's been a nurse now for 25 years, um, why are many of us, in my view, we hear about pediatric emergency years like, um, no, that's for somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Why is it? Is it because we just know intrinsically that they're so different than adults and we just don't want to take that on because it's like a whole other world? Is that, is that what's going on for so many of us when we think about children? Yeah. Yes, I think to a great degree that is true. Okay. The fear factor in the recognition that these are vulnerable humans and a slight error can have mm-hmm. catastrophic consequences. Now, that's true for adults as well. We think we probably shouldn't make errors on anyone, but with kids and that one sentence, they compensate till they don't. They're, they're doing all right until they're not. And then they're mm-hmm. coding or they are in a shock state, or some other um, catastrophic event is occurring. And that's scary. Okay. And I know, you know, there, there may be nurses listening who are either PD, ER nurses, or work in general EDs where they see everybody from, yeah. you know, pregnant women and neonates all the way through those at very advanced ages, you know, nonagenarians or whatever. So... Mm-hmm. What is it about someone, and I'm sure you can answer this from experience, makes them capable? What are the characteristics that makes them able to walk into that sort of situation and be like, okay, I got this. I can do this. To a great degree, and this is an opinion statement, but Mm -hmm. to a great degree, it is on um, dependent on that, that level of confidence. We can learn these things. We can be competent, 
but it takes extra work. It takes extra time. It takes um, going to those conferences and getting the resources and making sure your PALS is up to date and taking ENPC through ENA. Those kinds of things give us the foundation that allow us to be successful. And we have always um, taught as nurses, when something makes us uncomfortable and you start to get that kind of anxiety, that bad feeling in your stomach and like, mm-hmm. hey, would you take this patient for me? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I'll take two of your patients if you just take one of this patient for me. Yeah, exactly. Um, that we will never become proficient and then expert at caring for whatever that is. Hmm. And for a lot of nurses as children, for me, it wasn't. Do you remember something we used to call an e-wall tube that we put down overdoses? It was the diameter of a garden hose in the hmm. emergency department. We right. don't do that anymore. But boy, I would do anything to get out of doing it because it scared me. Yeah. And I wasn't mature enough early in my career to realize that that's what was going on. I'm avoiding this because it frightens me. Mm-hmm. And the only way to conquer that is to become proficient at it. And that's true for kids. If you work in a general ED, you Mm -hmm. will see children. You will. Are you prepared? How can you get better? Crying baby, let me start that IV. Oh, you have a toddler who needs that? Let me go do that. Mm -hmm. And that's how we get better at any task in nursing. Very true. And again, you know, there's always choices. And some people say, you know what? I just don't do kids, right? So I'm going to become an adult nurse practitioner or mm-hmm. I'm going to work in adult ICU and I just don't do PD or I don't, yes. I don't, I can't handle certain things. Like some people are like, I can't do wounds or I, I don't do sputum. You know, everybody has their thing. A lot of nurses can probably relate. Like there's that one thing that gets you or there's that one population. You're like, I just can't do that. And that's also part of self-awareness and self-knowledge, right? Yes. Yes. And, and sometimes as nurses, we fail to recognize the opportunities that are out there. Hmm. So I think nursing is so unique. If you don't like this or it's not for you, then go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. If you don't like emergency nursing, go to adult ICU, go to cardiovascular ICU, go to dialysis, go to outpatient. It's just so expansive that most professions don't have that opportunity. And I think it's it's something very unique and amazing about nursing. That's true. I mean, I chose to, you know, um, gasp, uh, never, ever, ever work in a hospital. And I've spent 25 years not working in acute care. And of course, there's things I don't know. And I'm cool with that. Like, that was a very conscious decision of mine, even though everyone said it was professional suicide. It wasn't. I'm surprised. Yeah. I have had a good career and now I don't really work clinically much at all, except doing some COVID clinics and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So we all can carve our own path and you've carved a really interesting one. And now, you know, as an author and working with Lynn Visser, which makes you a very lucky person, um, there's, um, and she's lucky to work with you, of course, there's so many pathways. And when we come back from the break, I want to talk about some specifics. We're going to talk about some red flags and triage considerations from chapter five about inadequate ventilation, which we just touched on really quickly. And also chapter 27, which is about pediatric procedures. And I also just want to talk about your journey and kind of where, where you've been, where you want to go and um, how awesome Lynn Visser is. Did I mention Mm -hmm. that already? And we'll, we'll (laughs) circle back in just a little bit. So please stay with us. 
for the second half of The Nurse Keith Show, episode 329. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash Nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit, so you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to NurseKeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, NurseKeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now, Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. Remember, the show notes are located at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode in the number 329. We're here again with friend of the pod and my new friend, Deb Jeffries. And Deb, right before the break, we were talking about Oof, all the things we don't like to do and the things that we shy away from and also all the paths and choices and journeys that nurses can take and how so many opportunities are open to us and we can do, gosh, we can do almost anything we want, really. And you've done a lot of cool things, like we talked about at the top of the show, being an instructor, really digging into neuro ICU back in the beginning and then switching into the ED and, you know, really teaching people how to be the best critical care nurses they can be and the best emergency nurses they can be. And during the break, you and I are chatting and you told me that you have some very important news that just came out just, you know, moments ago. So can you tell us what that news is? Yes, thank you. I uh, recently found out that I was selected to be a fellow in the Academy of Emergency Nursing, which um, is not... Uh, I can add F-A-E-N to my signature line after I'm inducted in September mm-hmm. at the National Conference for Emergency Nurses in Orlando. Congratulations. And thank you. Um, it is an honor I truly never would have expected um, I would be awarded. So I'm, I'm very humbled. I'm very grateful. And I would just like to share with anyone who's listening, everything that you do matters. Mm-hmm. You are setting a path for yourself as we talked right before the break. Mm-hmm. Um, the times that you give over and beyond, those things matter. And in the moment, especially with um, busy ICU or ED nurses or clinic nurses or anybody in nursing, we can be so overwhelmed by the um, responsibilities of being a nurse 
but never, ever, ever lose sight of how important it is and how powerful you are to change people's lives. Even when you don't feel like it, you are. You change people's lives every single day. Can I quote you on that? Oh, wait, yeah. I just did. This is being recorded. <laughs> I just That's remembered. Right. Okay. So we yeah. actually captured that quote for posterity. So that, that quote will be playing in the Nurses Hall of Fame when you're inducted there too. Um, so before we move on back to, well, or go back to the book and talk mm-hmm. about some nitty gritties of the book, I just want to ask for those of us who don't understand what that means, what you just said, being inducted as a fellow into the, it's the Emergency Nurses Academy of Emergency Nurses. Academy of, what, so what is being inducted as a fellow into an academy like that mean? And is it a lifelong appointment? Like you've been elected, you're being nominated Supreme Court. We can never take it away from you. Yes. Well, it's kind of like that. It is a lifelong appointment mm-hmm. and it is assigned to those who have made a sustained and enduring change to the face of emergency nursing practice. Oh through the practice and leadership in emergency nursing. And it was originally created in 2004. Mm -hmm. And since that time, there's only been 160 nurses worldwide who have been inducted. Worldwide? Yes. And is only, so more than one is inducted per year, obviously. Yes. You know, we have, it hasn't been going for 160 years. So just 2004. So it'll be a group of you. And as a fellow, of a prestigious academy like this, do you have responsibilities? Like what what happens as a fellow? What do you get involved in and what could it mean for you and your career at this juncture? Yes, part of that process of being selected is identifying how you will continue to change the face of emergency nursing. Hmm. That you are in fact expected to continue to contribute and what does that look like? For me, it will be um, continuing publications, not just on PEDS, but um, triage is one of my my overwhelming passions, emergency department triage, mentoring other nurses. I've mentored a number of uh, nurses who had not been authors, so mentored them through their first time publishing. Oh, really? Those oh, that's cool. that leave um, a lasting legacy long after we're gone. That's really great. So- so being a fellow in this particular organization has that particular impact. And I bet it's similar for other organizations. And yes. is this Academy of Emergency Nursing, is it is it part of the Emergency Nurses Association or is it a separate entity? It, it's a separate entity, but it's under the guise of Emergency Nurses of Association. Right. And I would also like to share. Please do. Drum roll. Um, Lynn Visser is also a fellow. She is? Is she yes, being nominated she as one or is she already she, one? She uh, was a fellow, um, was inducted last year for 2020. She's a jolly good fellow. Okay. Yeah, she is. Oh, that's great. She I is think a jolly she probably good told mm-hmm. me that last year. Uh, yes. It probably slipped my mind. Yes. So I just want to say that Lynn Visser, let's sing her praises for a second. You already said how she's a real expert and has been an author of other other really stellar publications as well. She and I actually met at the National Nurses and Business Association Conference in Las Vegas, Nevada, four years ago, maybe five. And um, our friend Lizbeth Overton, who's a nurse in Minnesota, 
was also there. And the three of us met and just became instant friends. And we've been, we've had this little, what we call our little soul family ever since. And we're, we're just really tight buds, the three of us. And we're all very different and do different things, which is actually really cool. And Lynn is a really stellar nurse. She's really been around the block. Um, she's a mom herself. She has three amazing boys and her husband is a firefighter and has done some amazing work during a pandemic. So Lynn, Lynn is one of those special people like you out there who really likes to impart her knowledge to others. And I believe that might be something really special that you two share. Mm -hmm. I would agree with that. Um, we both have that same passion that's driven by wanting to have the highest standard mm -hmm. while giving people tools they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. It's very difficult to take a nurse in any situation, in-house, out of the house, um, ED, a clinic, a summer camp, and say, here, take care of these human beings, mm -hmm. but we're not going to tell you what you need to know to do it. That's a tall order, isn't it? And a very, that's yeah. a real conundrum for the nurse, isn't it? Yes, it is terribly difficult. And mm. while I absolutely am convinced that nursing is the most honorable profession, I'm absolutely also convinced it is the most difficult profession. Right. And there's Being an art of it, of course. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you. No, uh, go ahead. There's the art of it, of course. There's also the science. And you're, you're really bringing forward a lot of science in this book, aren't you? Yes, yes. But there is a touch of the art because uh, a nurse in any clinical situation mm -hmm. can have every fact known scientifically at that moment, knows mm -hmm. everything, mm -hmm. and be an awful nurse. I don't want you to touch my family member because you don't care about what you're doing. And that art and science, that is the definition of nursing. Otherwise, you're a technician who learned a lot of stuff. Hmm. But nursing is different. We bring something different to the table than any other profession does. And my family um, <laughs> to this day are amazed. Oh, you know what? Doctors don't actually take care of people. Nope. Nope, it's the nurse that's in there every single day. Mm -hmm. And that carries with it such tremendous responsibility, it which is why I also put into the category of the, the hardest profession, because we expect you to care while you, you're under this tremendous pressure. Mm -hmm. And it's very difficult. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I, I, I don't believe that anyone who is not a nurse can embrace what I'm saying. They mm -hmm. might nod their head and go, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really hard. Yeah. All those hero um, commercials with right. COVID. Yeah. That's right. really hard. No, you don't get it. Mm -hmm. it, it. It's more than really hard. Yeah. Um, so that is something both Lynn and I are passionate about. Let's give you what you need so you can take the baton and run from here. Mm -hmm. That's quite a legacy that you're creating there. And uh, we have already have your recording for the, you know, Nurses Hall of Fame. So just saying, and we have this book and if, you know, we want to pause here to dig into a little bit of the science now, yes. and you wanted to discuss a little bit of chapters five and 27. So five is the one 
I was using as a example in the first half, just mentioning how I saw there were red flags and triage considerations and key tips and all that kind of stuff. So what would you like to point out about this chapter in terms of how it represents the, um, the clinical power of this book? The reason I specifically chose inadequate ventilation as a mm-hmm. chapter to, to discuss is we recognize that hypoxia or inadequate ventilation is the path that takes most children um, to cardiac arrest. So it has to be one of our priorities to understand thoroughly and be able to intervene before that happens. Uh, Some of the red flags that we talk about for some nurses be, yeah, 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 I know that. But for other nurses, they might go, wait a minute, I didn't realize that. That's a red flag that my child is not ventilating adequately. So some of those things would be abnormal skin color, abnormal vocal sounds such as what? Oh, strider, Mm. gurgling, snoring. Mm -hmm. Those are all red flags. Um, High-pitched sounds coming from the airway. Use of accessory muscles. So your question will always be, how hard does this child have to work in order to oxygenate. How do I know? Accessory muscle use, retractions, mm-hmm. um, the head sawing, the be, um, abdominal uh, back and forth, abdominal breathing, mm-hmm. tripoding, uh, children who put themselves in a position. Um, it's, it's intuitive. It's not like they think I'm going to tripod. They put themselves in a position to increase their vital capacity. So big, big right. no-no would be to lay that child flat. They're already struggling to ventilate. So don't put them flat if they're trying to lean forward in a sitting position. They're trying to oxygenate well enough. Any altered mental status, that's a big concern with ventilation. Bradycardia, Mm. that means that they're already hypoxic enough that they're starting to drop their heart rate and full cardiac arrest is right around the corner once that occurs. Yes. Uh, if they're drooling and it's not appropriate for their age, you know, mm-hmm. they're not a nine month old who's teething, they're four years old and they're drooling, huge red flag because they mm-hmm. can't swallow their secretions. That means they have a narrow airway. Mm-hmm. So we worry about that. Um, if they're not able to vocalize, uh, respirations that are really fast or really slow. And I think that sometimes we make assumptions with children uh, that are not valid. And I'll give you an example that happened to me. A little little one came in to an emergency department. Triage was very backed up. Long, long waits um, that we are all uh, familiar with, I'm certain. Yes, of course. And the child had been in the ED for several hours, honestly had not yet been seen. Mom brings the child around the triage area and immediately I see that the child is in their own wheelchair. Okay, Mm. that tells you a lot right there. Mm -hmm. This is the child who's in a wheelchair, their Mm. own. And I looked at this little one and they were breathing so slowly. The respiratory rate was about six or eight. Holy cow, yes. We go rushing back to resuscitation. Um, ultimately it was a good outcome. So thankfully, um, that's what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but afterwards, mom graciously thought I'd done something wonderful and saved her child's life. In the meantime, I'm thinking you sat out here for two hours. What are you talking about? 
this is terrible. But she felt like I had done a great job. And I had enough of a relationship with her to ask her, when you came in, how come you didn't communicate with us that the baby was breathing, child was breathing really slow? Mm-hmm. He said, in all these years, and so there were genetic, um, I don't want to say defects, but genetic issues mm-hmm. with the child, lots of medical issues. She said, in five years, they told me over and over again to watch out for fast breathing, fever, all of these things. No one ever told me to look for slow respiration. They never mentioned bra- it's bradypnea, right? Yeah, bradypnea. Bradypnea. So, yeah, see. Bradypnea. Um, slow respiration is what I say. Yeah. Wow. So interesting. That, that child almost died because of what presumptions we make in healthcare. This mom was expert in the disease processes of her child, but nobody ever said, hey, slow breathing is bad too. So back to the red flags, really fast, really slow. Both Mm -hmm. of those are uh, pretty significant red flags for the pediatric patient. I see that. And we do have to move on in a second, but I just wanted to ask, seesaw respirations made sense to me, head bobbing made Mm -hmm. sense to me. Could you please briefly discuss what tripoding means? Because I know it's a postural thing, but I don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Um, You often see it in older children. You don't see it in infants and Mm -hmm. toddlers as much. It's for uh, something that you see more in ambulatory aged children in which they put both elbows on a surface, surface, which might be even in their legs or their knees. And they pull themselves forward into almost a tripod position. And what they're doing, again, is trying to increase vital capacity. Oh, and they put their chin on their hands like you're demonstrating by video right now to me? Yes. I've never Uh heard of that. I I know it happens, but I'd never heard that term. So I just learned something new. And I'm really glad to know that because I know a lot of children and parents. Mm -hmm. So tripoding. Okay. So this... This chapter, as an example of the chapters, of which there are many, really goes into some pretty, pretty good depth around, around croup and epiglottitis, and there's peritonsular abscess, retropharyngeal abscess. I mean, this is pretty, there's, this is not just like garden variety asthma and, you know, etc. This is, this is pretty um, intense stuff here that you have. We tried to focus or our goal was to focus on those things that either were common mm-hmm. or they might be uncommon, but life threatening. So see. if you've never seen a child with a peritonsillar abscess, you might not give it the weight that it requires because mm-hmm. it is potentially life threatening. They can lose their airway pretty mm-hmm. easily throughout the chapters, we tried to focus on one of those two things. There's, oh goodness, you could write a series of books and still not cover everything. Yeah. So we were limited and had to be strategic in determining what things we would put in into the book. I can't even imagine the conversations you and Lynn and maybe your editors or publisher over at oh, yeah. Springer right, had about yeah. what do we do with this book and how do we, how do we not leave something out that someone's really going to mm-hmm. need? So I'm sure that was long discussions and chapter 27 going from conditions we just talked about you know respiratory 
issues in general, kind of, we painted a big, you know, kind of painted the side of the barn around that. Mm-hmm. 27 is about procedures. So just tell us a little about procedures, because I know these are not little adults, so it's okay. different. And yeah. what do you want our listeners to know just in general, if they're in, e- in the ED or urgent care or wherever, doctor's office, a clinic, um, what do you need to know when there's a pediatric patient who's going to need a procedure that's emergent? What are some of the like key considerations here? Yes. The, um, that chapter has a total of about uh, over 28 different procedures that are nurse-driven I see that. Um, or nurse-implemented. Mm-hmm. It starts um, the same formatting with, we start with the airway, then we look at breathing. So airway, we're looking at um, insertion of uh, oropharyngeal airway, the things that relate to that um, issue. Uh, then we go into breathing, oxygen delivery methods, different things that we do. And then on through circulation, which is vascular access, IVs, how to start one, IOs, intraosseous. So it goes through um, all of these different things. And one of the things that Lynn and I were both very passionate about is having this available because we both said, where was this when I was a bedside nurse? There wasn't anything that told us how to get a clean catch urine specimen on a child. What about a straight catheterization on a child or an NG tube? It's not the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chapter also includes, includes appropriate sizes for different pieces of equipment like airways and ET tubes and NG tubes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's all in one section where you can go, oh, I need to put an NG tube in this kid. Let me take a look. Okay. Mm-hmm. And this book, I would like to say this, does not replace the individual uh, facility procedure and policies manual. So like mm-hmm. Lip and Cotter, whatever their procedure is, it's a quick reference to be able to review it. Um, we were very excited about that chapter because we were able to put in those things and our reviewers uh, took a look at it as well that are used most commonly that nurses might not know how to do because nobody ever showed us. Right. And you can only learn so much in school and then on the job, you just might not see certain things because they just haven't happened. So, you know, of course they prepare you for all the general policies and procedures and what is the, are the more common things you're going to see in the ED, right? Unless yeah. you're in a very, very specialized pediatric ED, right? Then you might mm-hmm. be exposed to more. Yeah. Yes. One, th- one thing I like about chapter 27, just looking through it right now, I'm, I'm leafing through it, well, so to speak, it's digital, but I like mm-hmm. the, the illustrations. I'm an mm-hmm. art and graphic person too, not talented like this person is who did or people yeah. who did your illustration. But these are very clear. They're black and white. And they're they're really, they're just, they're simple enough mm-hmm. to be easy to look at and be like, oh, got it. And they're also detailed enough for me to look at it and go, wow, that's that's a lot of information in, in a graphic. So are yeah. you, you must be really happy with with the yeah. graphic aspects of this book. We were very pleased. Mm-hmm. So when we got the first copies of the proofs, as mm-hmm. you know, when you write anything, it's fix it, edit it, fix it, edit it. We over and over and over again. But when we first saw the the images, we're like, oh, 
this looks pretty good. We're this is really awesome. They're they're really excellent. And yeah. I've only seen a several chapters, but I'm looking at 27 and saying like, wow, these are these are really awesome. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Like the lumbar puncture one, you know, the showing the placement of the, you know, when you bend the when you curve the spine of the child and exactly where things sit. It's it's very, very good. So I I I'm very visual, so it's super helpful for me. And mm-hmm. also the writing is excellent because it's you and Lynn. So there's no <laughs> arguing with the writing. And also the tables and, and the the informational layouts are also quite good. So they're just like I said earlier, they're very easy to read. And even not being a ED kind of person, I can look at this and be like, oh, okay, I see exactly what they're getting at. So it's yes. a it's a wonderful book. And before we go, you had mentioned to me that. Uh, Springer, in their wisdom and generosity, are offering a discount code for listeners of this episode, right? Yes, that is correct. And the discount code, if you order from the Springer Publishing website, right, is RAPID25, R-A-P-I-D 25, it's all caps, right? And it's free shipping and 25% off the book. Yes, yes. Which is really great. We'll have that in the show notes and we'll make sure we put it in some of our social media, when we, which we put out when the episode comes out so that people can take advantage of this. And again, you mentioned towards the beginning of the show that this isn't really simply for nurses who work in PDI, PDED. This is for, this could even be for a nurse who doesn't work with children at all, but actually just wants to have this mm-hmm. on hand. Sure. Absolutely. Uh it, it would be helpful really to anyone who's around kids. So yeah. moms, grandparents, uh, doctor's offices, mm-hmm. lots, of, uh, lots of different entities uh, would be able to benefit from it. Moms and grandparents could get a little freaked out by some of the stuff in there if they, they dug kind of deep, just saying. <laughs> That's um, true. That's like, a good well, point. Maybe I didn't yeah. want to know like, what the potential outcome of this particular emergency yes. could be. Yeah, That's but I, a good, I see where you're coming yeah. from. Um, we also, uh, and I don't know that this is clear anywhere else. Mm-hmm. We this is a worldwide book. It's a global application book. We have authors, uh, contributing authors from around the world. We have reviewers from Australia, New Zealand, um, the Netherlands, Malta. Mm-hmm. So, it, so some of our nurses in the United States might read something and go, well, we don't use that drug. Mm-hmm. Well, if it's mentioned, it might because might be because there's a global application to it yeah. as well. Which is great because we need to share, right? Cross-culturally yeah. and internationally, oh. nursing has a, a, we cast a wide net and yeah, we we're everywhere, you know, and that's mm-hmm. a really good thing too. <laughs> yeah. So Deb, you are really amazing and we've already sung Lynn Visser's praises and she's probably listening now and blushing um but that's just the way it is she can handle it um yeah the the book is really great i look forward to seeing it in in my hand and sharing it with other people and want to make sure listeners again know that when they go to springer when the book comes out it's discount code rapid 25 for 25 percent off the book and free shipping and again can you tell us the name of the book one more time Rapid Access Guide for Pediatric Emergencies, Providing Expert Nursing Care. Great. Well, it's really wonderful to have you here. And 
when you and Lynn publish your next book, I'll have you back again. And okay. you, you've really, you know, opened my eyes to some things. And I think there's going to be some listeners out there who are going to want to get a hold of this, or maybe it's simply open their eyes to, wow, there's some other things I need to think about when I'm encountering children yeah. in the clinical space or on the playground yeah. or at the mall yeah. or yeah. wherever you happen to be. So mm-hmm. Deb, thank you. You are, you're, you're great. And this is, this has really been a pleasure and a privilege. Well, thank you so much. I am um, grateful and I appreciate the opportunity and, and getting a chance to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And remember, the show notes will be found at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode in the number 329. Those big numbers are really getting harder and harder for me to say. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And I encourage you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional satisfaction. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching from me, Nurse Keith, look no further than nursekeith.com. And if you mention the show, you get 10% off your first coaching package. And mention Deb Jeffries or this Rapid Access Guide or Lynn Visser, you'll get 15% off. Just saying. And again, please consider becoming a patron of the podcast at patreon.com. That's patreon.com forward slash nursekeith. A $2 monthly pledge would be awesome. And you can avail yourself of some cool prizes and premiums if you choose to pledge more. And please honor me by considering becoming a patron. The Nurse Keith Show is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com, one of the largest and fastest growing collections of authoritative high quality podcasts taking on the tough topics in health and healthcare with empathy, expertise, and a commitment to excellence. Speaking of excellence, The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappiespeason is our stalwart and amazing social media ringmaster. I'm grateful to both Rob and Mark for keeping these wheels turning in the right direction, because without them, I'd probably be going backwards. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico. And my new friend and friend of the pod, Deb Jeffries, saying see you later from... Casa Grande, Arizona. Casa Grande, Arizona. Thank you, Deb. Thanks for everyone for listening. And we will catch you all on the flip side. 